This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, good gardening, folks. And Mr. Kelly, before you leave, I completely yep. agree with you as far as the shape of water. What? <laughs> I didn't get it. And, and you know, Cindy, uh, Sue and I were sitting there watching it, and we're like, when is this going to become a great movie? Right. Tracy and I did the and same it, thing. We yeah. walked out of there saying, hmm, was it $7.50 <laughs> each? <laughs> yeah, I, I just didn't get it. I'm yeah, sorry. Me either. You know? I'm not smart enough, I guess. I guess not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly. If you have questions, concerns, or comments about snow tomorrow, what's it going to do to your plants or whatever it happens to be, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Saturday mornings, we get together to discuss your yard, landscape, garden, house plants, potting mixes, soil improving, uh, pruning bugs. Maple trees are in flower right now. So this is the first, when they are triggered to flower, that's due to soil temperatures and everything else, this is going to be the first wave of insects that start coming out. The second wave of insects will start coming when the red buds are going into flower. So that's one of the things, you know, kind of watch. If you know maple trees, they're not powerful as far as visually in their flowering, but this is the time temperature-wise when some of the insects start emerging. Spider mites, and a few other things as well. So planting, you can start planting as soon as the plants arrive at the garden centers. So you can start doing it right then. Please remember my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take effort on your part. It's a marathon. There is no sprints in the outdoors, except unless you're running. Then you, you could do a sprint, not a marathon. But your plant material cannot run. So this is your show, and I appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg again. He's here producing. That Oh, sorry. It's Gregory. He doesn't want to be called Greg anymore, so it's Gregory. So, sorry, Gregory. <laughs> anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are available at various locations, and I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. I just finished an article. I just got to get it to the publisher so they can... Whack it up and edit it and do whatever else they need to do. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. The homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And today I'm going to do a walk and talk out in Dardine Prairie after the show. And the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Oh, wow. The sky was really nice this morning. As the sun was rising, it was orange. And uh, right, I headed on Gravoy eastward towards KMOX. And I thought, hmm, where should I take my walk today? So I turned right on to Sydney Street. And then I went down Sydney Street to 13th, and I turned right again. 
Ivy was climbing two huge maple trees, which were in flower. So right there you go. There's a Norway spruce that's pretty close to the sidewalk. And the sidewalk and the, all the area underneath the Norway spruce was uh, covered with spruce cones, large pine cones, and needles, too. And uh, there was all kinds of other things going on as well. Where is this place? Well, this is a park called Marty Murph Abusi. So Marty Murph Abusi, Murph is just, I guess, the name, his nickname or whatever that he preferred to be called. And uh, actually, he passed away in 1970. So this park has been there for, I don't know how long it's been named after him, but it's been around for quite a while. And there's been some major changes over the years. There's a gazebo in the park. It's surrounded by a circular walkway. And then in between the walkway and the gazebo, the, the daffodils. I mean, I was amazed at how many daffodils there are that are in bud. The daffodils in my yard are not showing any flower buds coming up yet. They're showing foliage, but no flower buds. So I thought, hmm, this is a little bit closer to downtown, so maybe it's a little bit warmer. I don't know exactly what it is. But uh, also, there were some surprise lilies. And I could just tell by looking at the foliage that those were going to be surprise lilies as opposed to daffodils. There's a trio of plastic chairs that are stacked up on top of each other. I guess people go out there, they don't want to sit on the metal park benches, so they have these plastic chairs, and I think one of them even had a cushion on it. So that's uh, very interesting as well. Iris were pushing foliage up. So, you know, the traditional iris, the flags, which I never did quite understand that name. But anyway, that's just kind of how it goes. And as you walk along, you're going to see all kinds of other things as well through here. It's not a huge park. It's wedge-shaped, and it basically on the west side of the park you go down into the valley, and that's where Highway 55, south and north, is. So you can hear the cars going by and everything else as well. There was a holly tree. doesn't look so good. It needs some acidity. So it's really yellowish. So it needs some sulfur. It needs some iron. It needs a couple other things to try to revive it. But it kind of looks sad because most of the stuff in the park looked pretty darn good. There's an Austrian pine there as well, a crab apples, which the flowers... Buds were actually starting to push open a little bit, not showing any color yet, but just pushing open. There's some bike stands, so if you happen to ride your bike there and you want to just lock your bike up and take a walk around, you can certainly do that. Uh, there's some concrete pots. The concrete pots still had the mums from last fall in them. And uh, there's some milkweed pods that were starting to erupt. So they were opening up, and you could see that some of the seeds, airborne seeds, were, you know, have been released. So... This means winter's over. Winter's going to be over, what, on the 20th? So I usually wear, in the wintertime, a long sleeve shirt when I come to KMOX. It says KMOX on it, and it's kind of a crew turtleneck type thing. So I only got one more week to wear this thing. I don't wear it after winter's over because I just can't. And other things, there's a red faucet there within the park that's ready to use, I guess. I don't know if they turn the water off. They probably do in the wintertime. But soon it's going to be available. And then I looked over Highway 55, and I saw that on the west side, I could see the sunlight starting to reflect off all the windows of all the homes that are along there. And that meant it was time to go. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Questions, concerns, or comments about your yard, your landscape, or anything else, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Spice bushes should be blooming really soon, and they're a great shrub, very fragrant. For if you have a wetter area in your landscape, it's kind of shaded. That's perfect for that. Also, watch out for the pussy willows. They're going to be, you know, the flowers are going to be pushing open. And the magnolias. When I was at the house on, in Redbud, Illinois, the other day, we saw the magnolia. That I, well, one of the magnolias. I couldn't tell. I think it was a star magnolia, which is the earlier blooming one that's white flowered. It was, the buds were really cracking open there. So all kinds of stuff going on. And this is your last, going to be your last opportunity to spray the dormant oils. So, but don't spray the dormant oil. Look at your plants very carefully. And if those buds are starting to break open, the dormant oil could really damage the buds. So that's why you should have done it a little bit you know, earlier, earlier than this. But if you've got plants that are not, the buds are not breaking open and you want to spray the dormant oil, what the dormant oil does is suffocate adult insects, larvae insects, eggs, and everything else. So that's why it is, it is a very organic, passive-type circumstance. So let's go now to Sally's yard, and Sally lives in Creefcore. Hi, Sally. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Um, I have a question, a grass question. I have been plagued in the past by fungus in my grass. Mm -hmm. And I know that you can put a fungicide down uh, before things really get going, or at least I think you can. Is this a good time to put a fungicide down to prevent to hopefully prevent any fungus in your yard. Well, it can certainly help, but it's just generally not going to be just one application. You're going to have to do a couple different applications depending upon the type of fungicide. So that's the important thing. It's just not thinking one application is going to solve all the problems, especially if you've had a history of problems with this. So, you know, get your lawn service out there and find out what's going on, what, you know, and then have them set up a program for you that you can actually have this taken care of. And it's probably not going to be just done in one year either. If you've had a history of, you know, fungus problems, you know, on and on and on for several years, it's not going to take necessarily that long to get the problem solved. But it's not going to be just like I say, a first application or multiple applications in one spring, and it's going to be eradicated. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, Actually, I have been uh, applying fungicide for... uh, from the beginning of the time that I started noticing this. Mm-hmm. And what I had read was to switch the, the uh, manufacturer of the fungicide. So I've been using two different ones that I find actually at the big box stores. And I'm uh, using an application of one one time and an application of the other manufacturer another time. Would you recommend that? I always agree with that. I mean, you want to stay loyal to certain brands, but also alternating products because chemically they're not going to be identical. They're going to be very close many times, but not identical. And that little bit of difference between them could, you know, help you solve your problem. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. Thank you, Sally. And now let's go to Jane. And Jane lives in Lake St. Louis. Hi, Jane. Good morning. I love your show. Thank you very much. Um, I live in a community where they do the lawn care, Mm -hmm. and I just read uh, this weekend that they are putting down crabgrass preventer starting on Monday. I want to put down some uh, grub 
scrub X, and then I'm also trying to reseed, and I'm just seeking your advice on the chronology of that. Basically, if they're putting crabgrass preventer down, skip the seeding because it's not going to work. Well, I knew that. But, okay. Um, I know I can do it in September, but I was right. wondering if I could sneak in another one um, earlier in the year. It depends upon what type of crabgrass or crabgrass preventer pre-emergent they're putting down because all of them will have a certain, let's say, a window of time that they're effective. Mm-hmm. So find out from them what they're putting down, then either ask them how long, you know, it's going to be effective because, I mean, usually it's going to be, you know, like about a month. So you may be having the opportunity at the towards the end of May or something like that or early May, weather dependent or whatever, to get some cra- or get some lawn seed down. But again, I would find out first. And as far as the grub control, that has nothing to do in relationship to the other two. As okay. far as seeding and or pre-emergent. Okay. Okay, that's what I needed to know. Great. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a juggle. I mean, there's no getting around it. So the pre-emergent down now, it's, uh, you know, forsythias, you know, the soil temperatures are getting to the point where they're getting very, very close because more and more plants are budding, you know, and buddings open up. And uh, so it's, I always say the signal is, the real signal is of yellow forsythia, but, uh, you know, if they want to get it down now, that's certainly their option. So thanks, Jane. Thank you. Bye. Yep. And now let's go from Lake St. Louis to Florissant. And Barb, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Okay, I have a question. It's regarding roots in my garden. It's a, uh, they're right, right near the very top of the soil. Right. Uh, it's like it's almost like a mat. It we've torn them out. They come right back. I'm. It's just a real fibrous, small little mat of roots that covers. It'll cover the whole garden. I'm just wondering what we can do to maybe prevent them from coming back. When you wash all the dirt out of it, it almost looks like a loofah sponge. That's how matted it is. Right. Basically, you've got whatever the you know whatever tree or shrub these roots are coming from. There's nothing you can do short of removing the tree, and then it's going to take a couple years for these root systems to die off entirely anyway. So there's okay. nothing that you can do yourself that's going to make that much difference. Okay. Um, yeah, because it's it's throughout the whole garden, and it's in the front and in the back of the house. So. Right. So you've got to have some large trees in your yard. And basically the feeder roots of trees, regardless of how big they are, are near the surface within the top, you know, 12 inches or so. And so the ones that look like loofah, that's basically the feeder root circumstance. And so consequently, that's what's happening. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. I mean, some people, you can try, you know, putting raised beds, but then you got to be very careful about putting raised beds if they happen to run all the way into where, let's say, the tree trunks are or those kind of things. But still, even putting a raised bed in is just going to be a, you know, a temporary fix because the tree roots are going to continue to, because they want to be near their surface, because that's where the most nutrients are, the fastest they are, you know, for the availability, that's what's going to happen is they're just going to start filling in the new space too. Okay. Sounds like a lot of work. Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Love your show. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. And uh, let's go now to Tony, and Tony lives in Manchester. Hi, Tony. 
Oh, oh, thanks for taking my call. I, I, I tuned in a little late, so I don't know if you've already covered this. In the wake of the situation out of Calvary Cemetery, with their, they're going to be removing 600 uh, pin oaks. Uh, with they've got balls on their branches or something like that. Right. I've lived in Manchester. I've got I've got three large uh, pin oak trees. Uh, they're about 35 years old, and they've always had these balls on their branches. Right. Uh, I I have a professional tree service come out twice a year, and they you know they dead wood and all that other stuff. No. Nobody's ever said anything to me about this. Right. Is this a really serious problem? No, it isn't. It's okay. Galls, G-A-L-L-S, only becomes serious when so many get on the branches of the trees that the weight of the galls actually start causing pressure cracks in the branch. And then consequently, when it rains or when moisture, snow or whatever can get into that crack and cause some heartwood rotting circumstance. But the galls in and of themselves... They are not a disease. They are caused by insects, a small wasp, not the classic wasp, that lays eggs, the female does. When the eggs hatch, then they burrow into the branch of the usually a red oak, which the pin oak is a red oak member, uh, and that causes that bloating. It's a protective thing. And then these, as they you know, have spent their larvae time in that gall, then they emerge out as an adult, small, tiny wasp. I see. The, the uh, a tree service I have uh, recommended some deep root feeding. Uh, do you think that would help, or do you just think it's whatever? Well, deep root feeding helps. I agree with that. That's where okay. they're going to auger holes and fill the holes with, con- you know, with compost. I think that's the okay. best way to feed your trees because, in reality, you're feeding your soil, and then your soil feeds your trees. Feeding trees okay. fertilizer doesn't make a whole lot of, from my perspective, sense. I want to have a healthy soil and let the soil do that feeding work. So that's going to be the, to the advantage of your trees. Okay. Very, listen, I, I appreciate it. I, I, thanks for your time. I was a little concerned about it. They're taking down 600 trees. I, yeah. My goodness. You know, but I guess they got those monuments out there and stuff like that. Maybe they're worried about that. I don't yeah, know. and I don't you know. The galls have nothing to do with the monuments. I mean, they have that many trees. You know, it's going to be the tree root systems and stuff like that. But the galls, you know, I mean... They're just a you know, product of having those type of trees. Not every you know, red oak family member is going to have the galls, but, uh, and not every pin oak, but still, maybe it's an aesthetic thing. You know, the people going there to visit some of the sites, just, you know, they go, ooh, this is too ugly. <laughs> well, I, listen, Mike, I really appreciate your help. Thanks again. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. One of the insects that starts hatching besides spider mites as the maple trees are blooming, which is right now, are the aphids. So just be conscious of that. Aphids, several different kinds of colors and everything else, so just watch out for the insects. This is a time of year where if you can get them when they're really young, just recent hatchings and things like that, and get them with an insecticide, whether it's neem, an organic thing, or whether it's a traditional type insecticide, they're much easier to kill when they're really young. And also always spray on the underside of branches and everything else. Don't just spray the top. It's just not going to work. And most insecticides are contact killers, so if you do not see insects there, traditional insecticide, don't waste the time. That's what the advantage of like a dormant oil type spray is. Now, if your buds of a plant material are already starting to open, it's too late for the dormant buds, uh, dormant oils to be sprayed on those plants with the opening buds. But what you can do is go to your favorite garden center and get a summer weight horticultural oil that has the same effect, not quite as dramatic as far as control, but still you can do that when the buds are opening. 
So now let's go to Bob Muller, and he lives in Fenton. Hi, Bob. Good morning, Mike. Listen, I, I am close to uh, St. Louis Composting, and I've been using their product, you know, over the years in my wife's flower gardens predominantly, but I also use it on the lawn and shrubs and whatnot, basically everything in my yard. So I love their stuff over there. However, in the uh, flower gardens themselves, it seems like over a period of years, uh, the, everything is kind of compressed and uh, um, it's it's dense. And, and with all that she's got planted there, how do I aerate that? I mean, I, it, it, it it's all... You know, kind of one now, if, if you will. So when you were adding the compost, let's say, to these flower beds, were you working it into the soil? Somewhat, yes. I mean, you know, but there's a lot of roots and, and there's just a lot of plant material in close proximity to each other. And it's it's very hard to deal with, you know what I'm saying? Right. Because of the proximity. Right. Basically, what you're going to have to do, the best thing to do is just stop monkeying around with, you know, trying to, you know, put a finger in a dike type circumstance. And you still got time to do it. You know, pull the plant material out. If these beds are like for perennials and things like that, pull the plant material out, work the soil, you know, get the soil, you know, prepared, blend it all together, and then put the plant material back. I know it's going to be a lot of work, but the, if you want to do it correctly, that's about all you can do. Ooh. Yes. Okay, well, listen, thank you. <laughs> no, I, it's, it's dramatic, you know, but I mean, when I worked at the English Woodland Garden, I started there the second year the English Woodland Garden was done. And there wasn't a whole lot of soil preparation done before they stuck everything in because I started in 77. The English Woodland Garden was done for the bicentennial in 76. They had to get it you know, planted very quickly, and they didn't do correct soil preparation. So with each big bed, I had to pull the herbaceous plant material out and then improve the soil and then put everything back in. There was just no other way that I could figure out how to do it because working around it is really not going to help. Well, are you familiar with a store where I can rent a back, a new back, while I'm doing all this? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's say I think they call it the back doctor. <laughs> oh, okay. Listen, thank you for your advice. Sure. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but you know, once we get something going and it snowballs and keeps going and going and going, and we're finding out that you know there's problems now. I will tell you though, if her, you know, she's satisfied with the plant material and everything else, then don't worry with this and just leave everything alone and don't try to go back and improve it. But uh, if there is problems with the plant material, then that kind of means you're going to have you know a lot of work. I mean, there are companies that can help you. Will do the work for you, but. Uh, and, uh, you know, you could even contact the community college at Merrimack. They have a horticulture program and see if some of the students there, you know, could come out and give you a hand that way. I'm not saying the students are going to work for free, but they may be cheaper than some of the other companies in the hopes that they know what they're doing. Let's go to Keith in Bethalto. Hi, Keith. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my question is in regards to bulbs. My aunt gave me some bulbs that used to be my grandmother's, and she calls them Peruvian daffodils. Mm -hmm. They're actually lilies, I think she said. Uh, she claims I need to dig them up every fall and then replant them in the spring. Or can I be efficient and leave those in the dirt? Uh, you probably can. I would say, you know, if it's something that has this historic reverence and, you know, the history has always said pull them out, then I would continue to do that. But, I mean, we've found over the years that things like cannas and other, you know, plants that are considered tropicals, you know, can be left in the soil. Just put a, you know, wherever they're planted, put a couple inches of mulch over the top of them, and then that could be a blanket. 
But if we have a severe winter, it may be, they could be gone. Okay. So that's kind of the downside. You could go ahead and do that, but uh, it's a, it could be a little iffy, especially if something has historic reverence. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to lose them. So it looks exactly. Like, well, that's not the answer I wanted. <laughs> Is there, is there another show I could call into? Does yeah, <laughs> it's the Hotline Garden. No, but what you can do yep. is grow them in pots. Oh, okay. And then grow them in a pot and then just move the pot in and out. That's a good idea. And that way you don't have to monkey around with ground and all this other stuff. All right, I might try that this year. Thank you so much. Yep, good luck with that. Right, and thanks, Keith. And uh, let's see, Greg is Gregory's on the phone with somebody. We got some major deals there. <laughs> and let's go to Mary and O'Fallon. Mary, how are you today? I'm fine. Uh, I have a question for you, Mike. Um, I have two ash trees in the backyard, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about having them shaped or trimmed or whatever. Uh, but I'm wondering about the wisdom of doing that if the ash borer is going to get them, whether I should just have them cut down Um just wanted your opinion. Well, the emerald ash borer, you know, it's been prolific. And the problem with the emerald ash borer is historically the borers have attacked, you know, the tree trunks on the lower part of the trees. So they're much easier to identify and everything else. The emerald ash borer attacks the higher parts of the tree. So consequently, there's no way to know, you know, if you may get it, if these trees may get it or anything else. But, you know, I would say if there are trees that you like that have good fall color or whatever else, they're providing shade. I would say, you know, just sort of like being afraid of something causing problems in the future. If you know you don't have them yet, you could have a tree service come out and take a look to see if there is any emerald borers before they do the pruning and then go from that standpoint. But I would say to take trees down in the anticipation that they may have problems in the future, I don't know if that's the best thing to do. Okay, so you have to check high up for the ash borer? Yeah, the emerald ash borer is in the higher parts of the tree. It doesn't necessarily mean at the tip of the branches, but it's going to be you know, higher than, you know, let's say, the bottom two or three or four or five feet, where historically that's where the borers have attacked. The, not the emerald ash borer, obviously, but other types of borers. Okay, uh, I do treat them every year with that stuff you pour around the trunk, and that's supposed to help with keep them away, I guess. <laughs> Does that work? Well, to a point. Um, okay. It's just, you know, it's got to go up through the vascular, up through the root system, up through the vascular system, up to the top, and, you know, so. Okay. But, uh, so if I don't see any signs yet, you know, it would be wise just to trim them back a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like I say, when the people are there to prune, to have them take a look and see if they see any signs, because there is going to be frass, there is going to be some of the obvious signs, the holes that boars naturally make, you know, and frass so just means little sawdust type stuff. Oh, so they're going to see holes in the bark about uh, six feet up. Yeah, no higher than that. Higher than that. Yeah, okay. so we're talking higher, not just six feet. Six feet and below is where the historic boars have attacked. The emerald ash borer goes like, you know, however big the trees are, let's say the top half the tree. Okay. How long after you get them, how long does the tree survive? It, just, it depends upon, you know, the infestation, the amount of, you know, let's say damage and everything else. I mean, the arch grounds, they were very paranoid about them. So I don't know, I, you know, I think they have taken all the emerald ash borer or ash trees off the arch grounds for that reason. Yeah, well, so, that was my, you know. Impetus? That was 
guiding light there. They took them all down, so... Right. So, I mean, it's up to you. It's just, uh, you know, this is a national park, and they got other trees they've put in there as a result of this. But, I mean, to do it in your own yard, that's a different circumstance because depending upon how big these trees are, you're looking at multiple thousands of dollars. Yeah, they're big. They're about 25 years old. Yeah, so... You're looking at, you know, a substantial amount of money. Now, if they do have the emerald ash borer, they're going to go downhill pretty quickly. It's going to be noticeable because what happens is the top part of the branches die off first because that's where they've bored in and caused interruption of the vascular system of the veins of the tree. So it's gonna, that's where it's going to start happening. So if you start noticing branches higher up in the tree, like a lot of them, are all of a sudden not pushing out any new foliage, new growth, or anything else, that could be an indication that there are some problems. Now, there is a natural dead wood quality that every tree has. So, in other words, some branches, for whatever reason, the tree just compartmentalizes and doesn't, you know, they say, no more sap for you, no more food, no more nothing, and then the branch just dies off. That's dead wood. But if you see a major amount of branches dying within a relatively short period of time, within one season, that kind of indicates you may have emerald ash borer. Okay. I just didn't want to spend the money getting them trimmed and then, you know, they're going to die. Right. Soon. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather put the money to taking the tree down then. Right. So it's your choice. Yeah, I mean, it's your option, your choice. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I enjoy all your advice. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. If you, ha- if you happen to drive by a wooded area and you start to see some flowering, white flowers in the distance in the woodland area, or maybe you have this particular plant in your landscape, it's serviceberry. Serviceberry is one of the first trees slash shrubs. I mean, there's two, arborea. Amelanchier arborea is the tree form, and then Amelanchier, let's see, what is canadensis, is the shrub form. But white flowering very early, it's a native, you know, tree. I don't think the shrub form is, you know, here regionally, but the tree form is. Also, you're going to see some wild plums that are going to be showing in the woodland areas. But the service berry, uh, service berry is going to be one of the first things that blooms you know, that's going to be very, very striking. So it's not a dogwood. Everybody thinks, you know, if it's in the woods and it's white-flowered, it's going to be a dogwood. But no, the service berry. And it has great fall color. It produces small fruits, So and they're not problematic as far as the fruits go as well. So now let's go to John, and John is in St. Louis. Hi, John. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call this sure. morning. Good morning to you. Oh, I have you. a question about a big, large evergreen tree that's, beginning to overwhelm our front yard. So we had some guy come out. He was an independent uh, tree trimmer, and he said he can prune it, but he wants to put that sealer where he prunes. Is that a good idea? Basically, it doesn't do any good. No. Days of old, the pruning sealer had lead in it, so it prevents bacteria problems and things like that. It's going to be strictly a cosmetic thing. It's not going to, it shouldn't harm it, but it's not going to do any good. So if he's charging you extra to, you know, he's probably saying, well, like, you know, it'll reduce the sap flow, but the sap flow is not really all that problematic. So I'm assuming you want, you, he's going to be limbing the tree up. Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to do some. To make but, it look like the Michelin man. 
<laughs> but basically, I mean, the root system and everything else is still going to be there. So if you you just want to have it so you can walk underneath the tree a little bit more and things like that, just make sure that if he makes cuts, that he only leaves a stub at the trunk about a quarter to a half inch long. Don't yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to call it. Well, I already did one of your sponsors there to come and take a look at it too before we make any rash decisions on what to do with it. But it's overwhelming the front yard and some of the branches are going out in the street, and we're figuring, well, if we don't do something, the Sunset Hills is going to do something. So right, we're kind of, and we want to, we want the job done right. And what's the best time to spray that tree for bagworms? Uh. There's no reason to think that it's going to have bagworms. Historically, if it has not had bagworms, it probably is not going to have bagworms. It's, it's had them before, and we sprayed it with uh, that ortho stuff. Yeah, basically, I mean, the insects, you're just going to have to watch for, you know, the, kind of the hatching along the branches. And uh, they're going to be really tiny things that look like bagworms. So it's all weather dependent, so it's hard to say, well, the first week in March or the third week in March or something along that line. But with the maple trees in flower now, this is the first wave of insect activity. So, and, you know, the problem is with this kind of situation is the insect insecticides are contact killers. So if they don't hit the, you know, insect with the spray, then it's not going to, it's really not doing any good whatsoever. Is this a good time to have that tree uh, shaped? Uh... Yeah, for the most part, yeah, it's probably not all that problematic. I don't like to prune going into wintertime, but coming out of wintertime, I think you should be fine. And I have one other question that my sister made me, t- made me ask you. Whatever happened to all the beautiful daffodils along our highways? Uh, there's, I mean, daffodils, even though you can go to older neighborhoods, houses that have been abandoned, you can see the daffodils are still coming up years after nobody's lived there. But the daffodils... You know, they've become so popular worldwide that they've kind of accelerated their growth cycle. So consequently, what happens is they have a limited life, usually about seven or eight or nine years. Now, Brightside St. Louis, they do continue to plant the daffodils, but uh, it's just, you know, a question of how long they're going to, you know, live. There's no- when we thought when the highway department was spraying to control the weeds, maybe those chemicals may have stunted their growth or killed them off. No, that's probably not the case. No? No. Yeah, we were thinking that, and maybe the uh, maybe the uh, chemicals that they're spraying down on the highway, maybe that maybe that did it. But you say no. No, it's a genetic thing. It's, it's just life. you know their life. All righty, Keith. Thanks for all your help. Yep, sure. And now let's go to Al, and Al lives in Fenton. Hi, Al. Hi there. Um, I planted garlic for the first time last November, and uh, they all came up. Perfect. I got I got nine little uh, plants. And they're about four inches high now. And I'm wondering if a fertilizer at any time is a good idea or just let them grow for a while. Is your, was your soil improved and everything else? Yes. So I would say just leave them alone. There's okay. no reason to accelerate the growth. Right. So, I mean, just this way they can grow and they can be dense and thick and have great taste and everything else. So sometimes fertilizer is helpful, but sometimes it is not helpful. And if I did want to fertilize in the future and you grew more garlic, get something like called a bulb booster. So don't just put regular triple 12 down or something like that. Go for something that's specifically yeah. for the bulbs. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just let them alone this first time and see how they go. Exactly. And then you can make adjustments from that. All right. Thank you. Yeah. And this is for anybody. If you do put bulb booster on your bulbs, whether they're daffodils, whether they're garlic, whether they're crocus, whether they're tulips, no matter what type, surprise lilies, 
and it, it's a granular form. And uh, let's say you get the granular stuck to the leaves, wash that stuff off. Because if you don't wash the granular stuff off the leaves, guess what? It can burn holes in the leaves and cause some problems with just building up because the leaf mass is what builds up the bulbs for the future, for the next year. So consequently, always, if you get any kind of, let's say, granular-type fertilizer on the plant material, then wash it off. Let's see if we can get another call in. Let's go to Shirley in Creve Corps. Shirley, how are you? Just fine, thank you. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Um, yes, I have a 55-year-old rhododendron, 8 feet tall. The leaves are turning yellow. Can I help it? Uh, are the internal leaves, interior leaves rather? The outside leaves. Outside leaves. So then you got to get go to your favorite garden center, and you got to get some fertilizer for acid-loving plants. So in other words, there's not enough sulfur, there's not enough iron in the ground, and this the fertilizer for this or the nutrient for this, the amendment, is going to, you know, virtually help that problem. Now, it's not going to be automatic. It may not even happen this year, but you're going to put that stuff on the ground and then it's going to go down into the ground and then the rhododendron will finally slowly but surely absorb it. Now, a rhododendron of this age, it may be just an age factor, but the soil pH is not right. And that's probably what one of the major problems is as opposed to age. I see. We usually fertilize it after it blooms. No, no, no. Do this now. Yeah, definitely, because you want to get these leaves healthy. Because if the leaves aren't healthy, then it's not going to build up. You know, the strength of the overall shrub. Consequently, the bud set for the following year. And this year, realize that we had that really nasty cold spell with the wind chills, and a lot of the broadleaf evergreens, you know, got burnt. And some of that burn looks brown. So it may not be related to the nutrients. But you cannot harm your plants by, let's say, putting a sulfur-based you know, you know, you know, iron-type fertilizer down. It won't hurt, but uh, so consequently, it may be just related to weather as opposed to a nutrient problem for your shrub. Can we do that above ground or should it be a deep root uh, fertilizer? Oh, no, you can do it on the ground. If Just pull the mulch back, you know, put it down, and then water it in. I see. Okay, I also have a 55-year-old bed of jonquils that are just gorgeous. Going year by year by year, covering an area Perfect. that's beautiful. <laughs> that's, that's what I was saying. The older ones, even if it's a King Alfred variety, the newer hybrids of King, uh, King Alfred, their lifespan is just not like the ones that were that age. That's what you have. So congratulations to you. Okay, and thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you. you. Uh, bye-bye. Bye. And, uh, yeah, for anybody that has questions or concerns, um, you can give a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Get all those ornamental grasses chopped down because we've got some in our neighborhood. People are not chopping. Yuck. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. The voice of the Cardinals. News Radio 1120 KMOX. KMOX HD St. Louis. 102.5 KEZK HD3 St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.